Well, I hope you have the opportunity to go to that. Our children's ministry has worked really hard to put together a family-friendly event that both would encourage and educate and give opportunity to uh, to learn and grow together. It's something that you can bring your kids to, you can bring your grandkids to, you can bring your nieces and nephews, neighbors, if you have permission. That's great. Um, we, we hope we're able to... Uh, uh, to serve one another with that event. We are continuing our series in the Romans Road. The Romans Road is one of those uh, series that really, I would say, has grabbed a hold of my heart in, uh, in some unusual ways, um, some challenges. And as Matt and I were preparing this with Pastor Jason, some things started to emerge, and we wanted to be... Um, really clear about. And so I want to first of all identify that the first 11 chapters of Romans is really educational, it's helpful, uh, but it's, it's identifying some truths that are real and they are good. And then there is this hinge point, and the hinge point is found in chapter 12 where we started last week. And that hinge point from there towards the end of the book is about how we live it out how we live out this Christ life. Now, as we, again, begin to dig into this, we saw um, a need to discuss where this is coming from. So, Rome. Uh, the book in, of, of uh, Romans has come to us from Paul. Uh, Paul is in Corinth when he writes this and sends it to the church in Rome. But there is a reason and so let me give a little bit of history so that we can best understand it. Here's the situation. The church starts to grow. Uh, Peter shares the gospel. 3,000 people come in and one day uh, to, to understand Jesus as their Messiah. In the midst of that, there is a growing movement in the Jewish community that there, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus, and people are responding in faith to him. And it's exciting. Many people are responding in faith to Jesus, and many are not. And there is this tension that is growing, and around 54 AD, there is a movement within the synagogue to push the Christians out. And you might go, oh, that's interesting. Well, let me explain why that matters. So the synagogue is the center of community life. It is the house of prayer. It's the house of education. Uh, it's the house of study. And so everything within that community is in part understood there, and it's an opportunity for worship. And these families have done so for a long time. To be kicked out of that, to be asked to leave, is in part a disconnection to their community. And that's a big deal. Not just that, but now there are some other pressures. And let me explain why. The Roman Empire had uh, rule over Israel during this time. The Roman Empire also had some specific religions that they had accepted. In other words, you can worship these deity. And they had their list. One of those acceptable religions was Judaism. The Romans understood Christianity as a denomination of Judaism. It was a part of Judaism. There were Pharisees and Sadducees. There were Essenes. Uh, there were these... Uh, zealots off to the side, and there were these people of the way, and they were all Jewish. 
But the Jew, but the the nation of Israel, the leaders within the church and the synagogues started to say, "No, that is not the case. They are not Jewish. Jesus is not our Messiah. They even have Gentiles that are becoming a part of this. Uh, they are not who we are." And when they did that, suddenly Rome said, "This is a new religion. It's made up. It's novel." And because it's a made-up, novel religion, you have no ability and you should not be worshiping Jesus as your God. It's not acceptable. And they started to persecute, and they did that a variety of ways. They put people in prison, they tortured people, and they also executed people. And this is the beginning of all of that. So I want you to understand that the, the Christians in Rome have felt the pressure from their community. And they've been ostracized within the people that they loved and cared for. They're also feeling pressure, oppression from the government. And what do they do? Well, a natural response is to feed the flesh. In feeding the flesh, they could have felt victimized. It is not fair that this is happening to me. It is not right that this is happening to me. It is not good that these things are happening to me. And they would have had a leg to stand on in that. But Paul, very specifically, empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaks to them with apostolic authority and says, wait a minute, this is how we respond. And Romans chapter 12 is going to help us to understand that. I want to challenge us today to ask some hard questions. Uh, do we connect with Romans chapter 12. Is this something that maybe God is also doing in our lives? In other words, is there a response that the church had in the first century that we should be having today? Keep that in mind. We're going to pray and we're going to jump right in. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that it is good. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan, and so in the midst of your plan, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, recognizing that a part of that may be to confess and repent. A part of that might also be to step in faith, to love, and to bless, and to overcome. In all of these things, Lord, we recognize that we are called to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And so we would come together today uh, asking that you would receive this sacrifice, our very lives, for your good glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Last week, I introduced you to Pippin and Mary. Uh, Pippin and Mary are my cats. They are from the same litter. They are brother and sister. And Pippin is about two times the size of Mary. And he's two times the size of Mary because he eats twice as much. Uh, he is one fat cat. He loves his food. And last week, as we came together, we said, yeah, the principle that we pull out of that is a true principle. And the principle is this, that which we feed grows. And so, just like Pippin grows twice the size of Mary, we have decisions to make. Are we going to feed the flesh or are we going to feed the spirit? Uh, Paul is trying to encourage the church in Rome to feed the spirit, not to feed the flesh. 
If you feed the flesh, there is flesh that grows. And I don't mean you're going to get heavier. That's not what I mean. Uh, I'm talking about the decisions, attitudes, and actions that we live in. If we feed the spirit, the decisions, attitudes, and actions that we live in are dynamically different because they come from a dynamically different kingdom. Last week when we got together, we started with verse 1 in chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, remember we identified again, therefore, why is it therefore? It's there because the first 11 chapters are informational, they help us to understand biblical truths, and these following chapters are transitioning into this is how we live those truths out. Uh, And so that's what we see here. Brothers, by the mercies of God, we did not get what we deserved. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We we are offering ourselves daily to the Lord to be used by God, to be acceptable by God because of what the Lord has done. We went on to chapter 2 and said, hey, in chapter 2, we're no longer supposed to be conformed to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life but we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That there is a change in formation of who we are. That the change that needs to take place is formation. And what that is, is Christ replacing us. The old has gone, the new has come. There is a new creation here. In other words, like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, we become like Christ. Now, I don't mean that we are going to offer our lives as a sacrifice, a ransom for others. That's not what I'm referring to. I am not saying that we uh, replace Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But rather, he replaces us. That the way that the Father sees us is how he sees his Son. That we are, uh, one, sanctified. We're set apart for God's work. But also, we're growing in Christ. So let me use a term that maybe you're familiar with and maybe not. It's a term that we often use in churches almost exclusively. And the term is sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be put to use for a specific purpose. Sanctification really has three aspects. We're going to talk about two of them just briefly. The first one is positional. So in Christ... We are, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are in that moment set apart for his work. We are sanctified. We are now seen by the Father as if we are the Son. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have a citizenship of heaven. We have access to the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Those things are all true and they are positional. And then there is another type that that reveals itself throughout Scripture, and and that's progressive, meaning that we are growing in sanctification. Here's an example, so hang in there with me. Uh, Perhaps this happened to you when you received Christ. It certainly happened to me. And that is, the Lord, in his goodness and in his mercies, just gave one thing at a time to deal with. When I first got saved, it was, hey, Kenny, uh, I don't think you need to talk like that. And as I was reading scripture, I was going, oh, I'm convinced that that type of language is not what God has called me to. I'm, I'm not talking about a foreign language. I'm talking about the crass language that I was using. 
And God convicted me of that. Okay, I need to deal with that. And as I was dealing with it and getting victory and accountability, I'm growing, I'm progressively growing, more and more like Christ. Uh, and they said, you know what, Kenny, it's, it's not just the way that you speak. Uh, it's also, it's also uh, uh, the lies that you, that you speak. What do you mean lies? I'm not a liar. You don't tell the whole truth. That's called lying. Oh. And as I looked in Scripture and, and was convicted of that truth, I'm starting to deal with it. And progressively, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And God does that. And isn't that kind of him to not give us the whole list of things that need to change? And it's like, we would go, nope, <laughs> I, that's a lot. Uh, no thanks. But God in his grace and in his mercy helps us to deal with it one at a time. For some of you, as you get older, you start to look more and more like your parents. No comments, spouses of that. Okay. You, we do because we share DNA, right? And, and it makes us to look more and more like our parents. But that spiritual DNA is also true. That progressively, we're being transformed and look more and more like Christ. Positionally, we're there. Progressively, we're living it out. We're growing in it. And that's what we're addressing today. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, and that as we feed our spirit, we are growing more and more spiritually, being transformed to be more like Christ daily. This section deals with God's righteousness lived out in his people. So specifically, we're going to address how to live it out. And more specifically, how the church in Rome was called to live it out. And I believe by principle, it will affect us as well. We continue to be a living sacrifice by loving, by blessing, and by overcoming. Now, one of the truths in this is that they're all blended together. These aren't separate points. They're all interconnected, really. Uh, that when I'm loving, I'm also blessing and I'm overcoming. When I'm blessing, I'm also loving and I'm overcoming. When I'm overcoming, I'm also loving and blessing. Uh, but they're, they're identified in some specific ways. The bulk is going to be addressed in the first part under loving, and then we're going to highlight uh, the next two relatively quickly. So hang on. We're in for a ride. Here we go. Let's talk about this loving piece. And as we talk about that, we're jumping into Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says this, let love be genuine. Uh, that means, by the way, in the Greek, don't be an actor. Right? Let it be authentic and real. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't act. Now, how should that look? Well, it looks this way. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And you might say, well, wait, what does it mean to abhor evil? And maybe the best way that we can get there is to do a compare and contrast real quick. One of the questions the early church had is, what does it mean to be good? It's an abstract concept that when we say good, it's like, well, what do we mean? When you say something is good, what do you mean? And they summarized it this way. They said that when we say something is good, it first of all has a relational connection. It is related to a specific person when we say that something is good. And it's connected to that person's will. In other words, what that person is wanting to happen is happening. It is good. So those are the two elements of what something means to be good. And we see that in various 
stark and specific terms in the Old Testament. And God's created order. What does he say? That it is good. Why? Because it's in relationship to him. It's in his uh, divine order, his will, and his plan. And so because it is connected to his relationship, it is connected to his will and plan, it is good. And it becomes concrete. Uh, if you need it in real, in like uh, everyday terms, we might say it like this. If I were to plant some trees outside my house to block the wind and specifically the snow in the wintertime from hitting my house, and it is doing that, I might say about those trees, those trees are good. Because in relationship to me, they are helping. In relationship to my will, what I am uh, putting them there for, they are helping. It wouldn't make sense for us to be driving around in the country and just to go, oh, those are good trees. Well, what does that mean? Uh, it's in relationship to uh, a person and is in relationship to a will. Uh, God is calling us to be genuine, to not fake our love, that it is to abhor what is evil. So that which is against relationship, that is against God's will, and to hold fast or cling, grab a hold of what is good. What is God's will here? That's what I want. I'm holding on to that. Uh, what is God's plan here? That's what I want. I'm holding on to that. Uh, that's the idea in this passage. To abhor evil is to cling to what is good. All right, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So this, again, is how we relate to one another. In a time where people are showing up in church that are not connected relationally, or perhaps even within the immediate community, it is uh, difficult to see familial connection. And Paul is calling the church to that. They have been rejected in their communities. It, you can't go to synagogue anymore. Uh, they have been rejected by the government and even persecuted. And he is calling them into relationship with one another in this passage. Uh, that indeed, we're supposed to love one another with brotherly affection. Uh, what does that mean? Well, one of the things, and again, love this illustration, my, my brother is a few years younger than me. I love my brother. My brother and I also competed a lot, and we also fought a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. Uh, my mom was constantly going, can't you guys just get along? Uh, and we tease each other, sometimes relentlessly. But if anybody else teased my brother, it was on. Like, that, that meant we were fighting. Because nobody teased my brother except me. That was my job. Nobody else could do it. Well, I'm not suggesting that we need to tease each other, but maybe. Um, but what I am saying is that we take care of each other. There is a place in our hearts for one another. And, and that is the idea in this passage going on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. He's saying, we're competing. Who is going to show that the other person is created in God's image the most? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be a great problem to have in church? Oh, man, they're just constantly loving one another. Look at how, look how good they are. And it seems like every time they're, they're one-upping each other, but in a good and a holy way. Uh, what a great problem to have. In fact, it's that same 
type of idea that Jesus says when he says in his prayer in John 17, Father, make them one as you and I are one that the world may know that you sent me. Because of that kind of love, we outdo each other. Why? Not because of what we do, but because of the honor that's due to the individual, because the individual is created in the image of God. And that's pretty significant. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So again, this is not about uh, what is happening with one another, but what rather what God is doing or how we are serving the Lord in the midst of it. I don't know if you ever have this problem. I do. If I don't plan my calendar, my calendar plans me, and suddenly I have a lot of things on my calendar that I never asked for or agreed to, but I'm doing it because I didn't take the time to, uh, to care for and plan my calendar. Anybody else ever there? I'm the only one in this room. Okay, now, now you know. Uh, sometimes that happens where, uh, uh, where things get out of hand, and it's because we didn't take the time. We were slothful in planning our calendar. The idea here is that we would be fervent. We would be on guard. We would be prepared, not just to plan our calendar, but to live out this type of love that we've been called to. And this type of love that we've been called to is actually serving the Lord. So when we honor one another, we are actually serving God. What does my spiritual act of worship look like in serving one another? That's it. Serving one another is my spiritual act of worship when it's uh, pointed towards Christ. It's an important piece, again, in a place where people are disconnected from their homes. They've been pushed out in a place where they are oppressed. It's important that they are purposeful and loving and caring for one another in a society that is willing to persecute them and challenge them. And Paul is identifying we need to feed the Spirit. We can complain all day long, but the reality is we need to feed the Spirit, and we do that purposefully. Rejoice in hope, verse 12. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And this is going to take deep root, friends, because some of these people in Rome, they're going to be persecuted. Some of them in Rome are going to be lit on fire while they're still alive to light Rome up so that people can see the pathways at night. Some of these people are going to suffer some really difficult things. And many of them are going to see that they are offering their lives as a living sacrifice. It is dynamically different than what the world says we should do or even what the world would say is good. And yet the blood of the martyrs is somehow building up the church and advancing the kingdom in spiritual ways that the church doesn't totally understand. And as they stop feeding the flesh and start feeding the spirit, there's a transformation that occurs that ultimately wipes across all of the Middle East into Africa and into Europe and transforms this Roman Empire in powerful and significant ways. And so we rejoice in hope, being patient. We're not rejoicing in someone else's loss. We're not rejoicing in loss, but we're rejoicing in Christ. 
throughout this tribulation, it will end and God will be glorified. And they're constantly going back to that in prayer. Additionally, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Just, again, a beautiful reminder of the connected, the familial connectedness that we have as the body of Christ, how we are to care for one another, identifying needs, helping to meet needs, loving one another, uh, and, and caring for one another in hospitality. The early church did this. Remember, that, that's what they identified as righteousness from the very beginning. That they would give this benevolence gift. That in giving this benevolence gift, it was given to a group of people who were going to die without it. They didn't have the means and the ability to support themselves. And that from the overflow of the heart, sacrificially, people were giving. And that those who were receiving were receiving something that they couldn't earn. And that beautiful picture is displayed in daily sacrifice as they care for one another's needs. Whether that is a physical need or an emotional or a spiritual need, they were there contributing and caring and ministering. And so it brings us back to the question of what are we feeding? Are we feeding the flesh or are we feeding the spirit? What might the Spirit of God be doing in this place, in this moment, right now, in our own hearts, identifying ways that we no longer feed the flesh, but we feed the Spirit? What does that diet look like? Well, one of the aspects of it, as we offer ourselves as living sacrifice, is blessing. And so let's move into this next section, because it will help us to understand what bless means. In general terms, bless means to be happy but uh, that's a pretty shallow understanding of what, of what the term means. Oftentimes, it's helpful to look at a phrase or an idea in the Bible uh, as it is compared in contrast. So when we have a concrete idea of a word, we're able to look at that in relationship to the word that is being contrasted against. This is one of those times. When we look at blessing, it's not about just being happy, and it's certainly not an emotional response solely and exclusively, it's more than that. So bless those who persecute you. Even when the government comes in and says, you're not legitimate, your worship doesn't count. Bless those who persecute you. Even when a group of people say, if you're going to worship like that, you can't be a part of our family. Uh, We bless them. But what does that mean? Well, specifically, Paul identifies bless and do not curse. So what is a curse? Well, we see throughout the scriptures, curses come in the uh, the form of a few things. Uh, Oftentimes, in our culture, we think of an incantation. Uh, But but let's get beyond that. A curse is not an incantation. A a curse is this uh, evil thing, this thing that is separated, this thing this thing that is against God's plan and a relationship with God. A curse can be spoken and a curse can be practiced. So it can be spoken when we speak something that is not about that relationship with God, that does not connect us in that place, and when it is against the will of God. It could be a curse spoken. It can also be an action that we lived out. That can be a curse. In fact, Curses can happen a variety of ways, even by just accepting something, and maybe something that wasn't intended to be a curse. Let me explain. 
These things happen often and oftentimes accidentally, but it should um, make us to watch our mouths. I remember when I was three, almost four years old, I was at my cousin's house, and my cousin got really cool gifts all the time with batteries in them, you know, so they made noise. They were different than the type of gifts that I got. Not that I got bad gifts. I got great gifts, but I was particularly intrigued by his. And so I thought as a three, almost four-year-old that I would take it apart. As you can imagine, my mechanical skills were not great. I didn't go in and get a screwdriver, but rather I thought if I want to see how this works, I'll throw it on the ground and stomp on it and get into the inside of it. Very destructive, but also very helpful if you want to get to the inside of it. When my aunt came in and saw what had happened, she was very disgusted, to say the least, frustrated, and she said these words. You always tear things up. Did she mean that I always tear things up? No. What she meant was, you just tore that up. Why did you do that? What I heard and what I believed for years and years is that I tear things up. Uh, don't try to fix it because I'll tear it up. Uh, don't, don't, don't try to tweak something because I'll, I'll mess it up. Whether that is a mechanical thing or a relational thing, and I lived in a curse for a long time until the Lord broke that curse, we have to be careful of the words that we speak, the actions that we speak them with, and the curses that we live in. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And so we come out to that place of, of holiness, of goodness, of happiness. And what does that mean? Relationship. That means God's will. And that might come at a sacrifice, as we'll talk about momentarily. So we rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Uh, that makes sense. And yet, at the same time, probably all of us have been guilty of not reading the room and saying things that we perhaps shouldn't have said. Displaying things. At worst, it's an accident. Uh, or I'm sorry, at best, it's an accident. At worst, it's just selfish ambition and vain conceit. Oh, I'm sorry that you're having a bad day, but I'm awesome. So what's the deal? That can be an attitude we have. Or you're having a great day. And that frustrates me, so I'm going to be a Debbie Downer in this moment and bring you down with me. And what the Scripture says, as we bless, as we walk in the Lord's will and relationship, that we actually rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This idea of harmonizing. We are singing this same song together as a church. And that song is being sung as we live it out. By this God who redeems us. By this God who has called us to himself. By this God who has sent us out to share this good news with others. To bless and to not curse. We harmonize our lives as we walk out. We live in harmony together. Not haughty. Not thinking of ourselves to be proud uh, but recognizing that we're just a part of the body. One of the things I absolutely love about our worship teams, and Pastor Joel does an amazing job of preparing our worship teams, 
and identifying um, how we can grow in the Lord. I, I love his ministry here. But one of the things that happens regularly is that we'll talk about the fact that this platform can be a dangerous place where we try to steal God's glory. We don't do it on purpose. Nobody does it on purpose when they're up here. But it certainly can happen where we start feeding the flesh. Ooh, that feels good. Keep it. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Oh, you're responding, whether that is to a song or to a message. You're responding. That feels really good. And we can feed the flesh very easily up here. And that sort of haughtiness can become a mark of a church. And regularly, Pastor Joel reminds us to go before the Lord, uh, to ask the Lord to illuminate our heart. And if there's any of that within us, that we would confess it and repent of it. That we wouldn't feed the flesh, but rather we would feed the Spirit. And then to not be wise in our own sight is to be teachable, is to be teachable. Are we teachable? Maybe God has something that he wants to teach us, and maybe it's from someone or something uh, that is a surprise. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is an interesting phrase. Some commentators immediately connect it to an eye for an eye, right? So uh, in the Old Testament, we say, oh, respond, an eye for an eye. Well, that's generally a judicial practice, not an individual practice. But uh, that is a heavy practice that we see, especially in the Old Testament. Dynamically, empowered by the Spirit, Paul is teaching the church, no, despite the fact uh, that something bad has occurred, despite the fact that someone has chosen to try to break relationship with God and God's will, despite that, we're not going to respond with evil, but we're going to give honor to where honor is due. We're going, and, and by the way, that's going to lead us into next week's message as we talk about authority and governments and our response to that. Repay no one evil for evil but give honor uh, in the sight of all. To a church that is hurt, to a church where leaders, by the way, are starting to be pulled out of the church and persecuted. So much so that from approximately this time to almost the third century, a leader in the church of God is identified as someone who has one eye, Missing an arm or a leg, a limb. Why is that? Well, because they were persecuted for their faith. So uh, they know a little bit of something about persecution. They understood what it meant to sacrifice. And this call uh, is a call to the church to live honorably, but also, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean the absence of conflict. I know half of you in the room just went, really? Come on. I was hoping for no conflict. I suspect that in this room, if I said, uh, how many of you conflict was modeled in your life by fight? Oh, as soon as it, it was on, as soon as there was conflict. About half of you would raise your hand. And the other half of you would raise your hand when I said, how many of you uh, were taught in conflict, that you run away from it. It's flight. Uh, probably half of you. 
those are the general ways that we learn because that's what happens when we feed the flesh. But conflict has a peaceable result when we follow the Lord. And there is actually a way to make peace in the midst of conflict uh, that is right and is good. And God has a plan in it. As much as it depends on us, we live at peace with one another. And we have a, a response. And the response is what are we going to feed? The spirit or the flesh? As we consider overcoming, I'm just going to highlight this. Whoops. I'm going to highlight this relatively quickly. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So Paul is identifying, okay, uh, you're going to be persecuted. Our response is not vengeance. In fact, we're going to leave that to God because God is just. And God knows how. Uh, to apply vengeance the right way. I don't, and neither do you. Vengeance is mine. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Because we're going to give honor where honor is due, and everyone is created in the image of God, so we're going to extend honor to those places. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this means, and we could go through church history and we could look at some recent email chains that people have sent out about what this means and the context. And, but the bottom line is we're letting God address punishment, uh, judgment and punishment. That's God's business. What is our response? Our response is to love. Our response is to bless. How do we overcome evil? Well, we overcome it by doing what is right and following the Lord in the midst of that. And then the end of this passage. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In that place where a relationship with God is broken, in that place where the will of God is not made, we seek a relationship with God. We seek God's will in that place. And so what are we going to feed? The flesh or the spirit? Uh, a few things that I want to make you aware of. If you have your phones on you, you, you may want to take a picture of this. Uh, these will be some discussion items that I would encourage you to engage in. Uh, first one for you. In what ways might I need the Holy Spirit to help me, uh, to help my love be genuine? In other words, how can I not be an actor and be genuine in my faith? How are the people that who are the people that persecute me, and how might I bless them? There perhaps are people in your own life who don't appreciate your walk with the Lord. There are perhaps people in your life who, who actually are pretty cynical about it. Uh, how can we bless them? How can we extend life to them, relationship with the Lord and God's will by honoring them? Three, what are ways that I may need to die to myself so that I may be able to overcome evil with good? What are ways that I need to die to myself so that I can overcome evil with good? That might be letting go of some of our rights that others could be blessed. A set of questions. So we, we've, throughout this section, we'll call them mealtime meal questions. That as you uh, go to lunch or dinner tonight, we would encourage you to ask some questions of one another. And these are the questions general questions. They're, they're not super deep. They're not super hard. They're just to help kind of spur on the discussion and to keep the discussion alive. What's Romans 12, 9 through 21 about? And overall, what stood out uh, to me regarding that passage? What is one thing that the Spirit is challenging me to do? 
So based on this passage, what's one thing that the Spirit of God may be challenging me to do? How can I, in obedience, follow Christ? And then four, communicate some ways that others can pray for me uh, and ask, how can I pray for you? In other words, be vulnerable. Here are some real ways you can pray for me. Now, what are some real ways I can pray for you? It is okay. You can choose to be honest, more honest, or most honest in this, right? Uh, honest, you know, pray for my safety. Uh, pray that I would walk more closely to the Lord. More honest, I'm really struggling at work, and I want to feed the flesh. Okay, that's more honest. Most honest, you know what? I feed the flesh often, and in my walk at work, and sometimes in my walk at home, I say and do things that I, I wish I wouldn't, and I hurt people, and I need to repent of that. That's most honest. Okay, now you have a scale. Perfect. Uh, and then you can ask the same of others. How can I be praying for you? As the worship team comes and we prepare our hearts for communion, we're reminded that communion is for the church, the believers who say, yeah, I remember this body that was broken for me. I remember this God who came in the flesh, who gave his life that I could have life, whose blood is, was given for the redemption of my soul. For the one who now sees me as his son and not for who I've been. A good God who is worth celebrating and giving thanks to. Communion is for that. So we identify uh, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? And if there is, we confess it and repent. That's what the church has been doing since the beginning and continues to do today. We, we will participate together in communion, and the way we do that is after a, a time, you're welcome to go down the carpeted areas to the station nearest you, getting both the bread and the cup and returning, and we'll participate together. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that indeed you are good all the time. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we follow you, as we love you, and as we try to live this life in accordance with your will, that which is good and pleasing. Lord, we offer ourselves to you again today, asking that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.